You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. try to make peace between King Jesus, whom we've enthroned upon our lives, and King Self within us, right? It only results in a long, bitter conflict and war, such was the case with Israel. It is so much better to simply surrender and submit to the reign of Jesus. Have you been straddling the line between your will and God's? Just like driving down the highway, if you don't decide what lane you're in, it's going to result in a crash. You might tell yourself that you can compromise, give that area of your life to God, but keep control in this area, but you're guaranteed to fail. In today's message, as Pastor Mike will illustrate with the conflict between David and Ahinoam, only one of them was chosen by God to lead Israel, and there was no room for compromise. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 2 as he continues his message, The King of Judah. at your places of employment know that you're a Christian. Do other members of your family, your immediate family, know that you're, you're upfront about your testimony in Jesus Christ? Well, anyway, just something that I wanted to draw your attention to, something that I wanted you to think about and consider. Well, anyway, in the north, Abner, having the elders of the people behind him, take Ishbosheth, Saul's youngest son, and crowns him king over Israel there in the north. But really what is going on here, notice he only ruled for two years, Abner is setting up a puppet regime. He is the one, that is Abner, who is in control. He's probably seeking his own ends here. I mean, he knew God's choice was David, and yet he took a course of action, action diametrically opposed to what he knew was right. He knew that God had chosen David to be the next king. And listen, gang, let me tell you something. There is plenty of Abners out there today. You say, what am I referring to? Well, there are people in business, people in law, people in government, people in the arts and entertainment industry, in education, who deliberately formulate plans, make policy, engage in activities teach materials with no thought of the ethical ramifications of their actions, resulting in the moral and ethical breakdown of our society. 
They take no thought of that. So Abner, unmoved by the solemn testimony of God that David was God's next anointed to be king, unmoved by the sad proceedings at Endor, remember in 1 Samuel, uh, Saul had forfeited uh, God's being with him, and uh, so he makes his appeal to the witch at Endor, remember, seeking to ascertain God's will uh, for him. He is unmoved by the doom of Saul and his sons, who were then killed on the battlefield on Mount Geboa, the miserable state of the kingdom as it existed during this time. They had been humiliated by the Philistines, and nevertheless, in spite of all of these things, he insists on Ishbosheth. Do you see that? That's who Abner was. Now, in verse 12, let's go back to our text. In verse 12, we are going to discover the term went out or to go out, and I want you to know before we read that, that this is a military term, and it implies a planned military operation. So let's go ahead and read verse 12. Now Abner and the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Manahim, Manahim to Gibeon. So Abner, as the head of a strong contingent, proposes to invade the tribe of Judah and bring the people under the rule of Ishbosheth. But then notice Joab, who is now the commander of David's army, with an inferior force, a lesser number of men, intercepts Abner at the location at Gibeon. Let's pick up now in verse 13. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And so they sat down, one on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. Now this pool was located just outside the borders of Judah. It was, according to uh, historical accounts, it was five and a half miles north of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, only a large reservoir, this pool, that's the reference, this pool is more like a reservoir, was 37 feet in diameter, and it separated these two forces. And it was there that this contest that we're about to read about took place. And its outcome would be the right to rule the kingdom, both in the north as well as in the south. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 14 through 16. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So notice he challenges them to sort of like a duel or a contest. And this was something that was a cultural kind of a thing. Many times in battle, when two forces were ready to go to battle, they would ask for their champions to come out to, go, you know, to save the rest of the armies and uh, that the, the battle would actually be, deci be decided by each army sending out their best uh, man and to go up against battle, uh, to go to battle against one another. And whoever won the contest would decide the outcome of the battle. Remember, that was exactly what had taken place when David went up against Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, right? That was going to decide 
who was going to win that uh, battle that day. So it was a cultural uh, kind of a, uh, a thing. Okay, so its outcome would determine the right to rule the kingdom. So verses uh, 14 through uh, 16, Then Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. And so they arose and went over by number, twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. So how many are, are in all? There's 24, right? And each one, and this must have been something. I mean, think about it, right? So all of a sudden, out of these two uh, forces, 12 from each side, they come out, uh, they meet there on the battlefield, and they go at one another, right? And, uh, and both uh, companies, both armies are just watching off the, on the side of this reservoir to see what the outcome of this battle uh, would be. So a fierce uh, battle is about to uh, take place there. And so, uh, in verse 16, and each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword, verse 16, in his opponent's side. So they fell down together, all 24 of them. Therefore, that place was called the field of sharp swords, which is in uh, Gibeon. Well, this contest, obviously, was indecisive and because each man killed his adversary. Now, as we read on here, when all the combatants have killed each other, the men under Abner's command flee for their lives. And I, and I guess this was sort of unexpected, but nevertheless, in verse 17 we read, so there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And please take to account that the armies from the north under Ishbosheth were a larger company than those that represented David. Anyway, and pursuing them on uh, was, uh, are, are the sons, notice, of uh, Zariah, David's older sister. And yes, I don't know if you knew this or not, but David had other siblings. Actually, when we were first introduced to David and his father Jesse and his household, we were only introduced to the sons, Right? Remember, each one was brought before Samuel, and he was to choose and decide and then anoint one of those sons as the next king of, over Israel. There was no mention of his sister. There was no mention of other siblings. But yes, there, there is this woman pursuing uh, are the sons of Zariah, David's older sister, according to 1 Chronicles in chapter 2 and verse 16. So let's pick up now in verses 18 through 23. Now the, now the three sons of Zariah were there, Job and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. Man, this guy must have been really fast. And uh, he probably would have taken the gold in this year's Olympics, right? Notice the way that he's recommended to us. As fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. So man, he must have been pretty quick on his feet. So Asahel pursued Abner. And in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. So he's absolutely determined to, you know, track him down, kill him. Then Abner took a look behind him and said, now remember, Abner and his men are on retreat here now. Are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left. 
and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. In other words, take a trophy for yourself, and that should suffice. Probably suggesting that that's exactly what Asahel was, was really looking for all along. He was looking for a trophy, you know, to bring back to his other brothers to brag about. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Asahel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your older brother Joab, who's the commander of David's army? However, he refused to turn aside, and therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear, so that the spear came out his back, and he fell down there and died on the spot. And so it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood uh, still. Okay, so Asahel's determined to make a name for himself, being the youngest of the brothers that are mentioned here in our text. Possibly he did not want to stand in their shadow anymore, again, trying to make a name for himself. You know how the younger brothers are, right, and with their siblings and stuff. Now, Abner's initial desire was to put off any confrontation with Asahel. Uh, because he, he knew that you know, this has to do with the possibility of having to deal with Joab, his older brother, in any future you know, negotiations. And so he's sensing defeat at this point. And if he killed this young boy, his death would stand in the way of any peace negotiations going forward. Well, it's too late. And Asahel is struck and he is killed. And as the rest of the men come to the place where his body is lying in the pool of blood, they are stunned. But they continue the rout of the men of Israel. And by nightfall, the men of Judah have forced Abner and the remnants of his fighting force to take refuge on the slopes of the hill of Ammah. Let's pick up now in verses 24 through 29. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before Gia, by the road of the wilderness of Gibeon. Now they're really hostile towards him. They want to avenge their younger brother's death. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together there behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on top of a hill. Folks, let me tell you something. This was their last stand, right? They're thinking, you know, inevitably they're going to be defeated. So this is sort of like their last stand. Verse 26, And Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? So before they are actually engaged in this battle, making their last stand, Joab calls out, Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end, in the future, how long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren or their brothers? And Joab said, this was his response, as God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. Why would they have given up their pursuing of their brothers? Because they would have all been dead. <laughs> That's why. They had the, certainly had the advantage. Well, anyway, notice Joab, verse 28 blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still, so they didn't engage in this battle. 
and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through all uh, Bithon, and they came once again to Mahanaim. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, according to our text here, the blowing of the trumpet, notice there in verse uh, 28. You know, before, the, the, the amazing thing about this was that, you know, Abner is such a shrewd diplomat, if you think about it. Uh, it's inevitable that they're going to be defeated. But being the shrewd diplomat that he was, he makes his plea for peace on the basis of family ties. That is, they're being brothers. They were all Jews. They were all Israelites. And Joab allowed himself to be swayed by Abner's argument. He fails to assert the rights of the king, David, whom he represents. He does not comfort, uh, rather uh, confront Abner with his wrongdoing. And as we see, this will come back to haunt him in some of our future studies. And the blowing of the trumpet there in verse 28 signifies the ceasing of hostility. And thus Abner and his men are defeated. They return to Mahanaim. There's no hero's welcome. And they have been thoroughly uh, trounced. And the ceased fire initially seemed to make things better, but in reality, it only made things worse. And it led to a long, as we will see, prolonged war. The fact was, they just could not get along. You see, there could be no peace between the rightful king, who was David, and the pretender to the throne, who was Ishbosheth. Now, there may be another analogy here for us to consider. Just something that I want to throw into the mix for your careful examination. You know, likewise, when we try to make peace between King Jesus, who we've enthroned upon our lives, and the and King Self, and there's always this battle going on inside of a Christian. It's referred to in the Bible in many places. The war between the flesh and the spirit. So let me say that again. Likewise, when we try to make peace between King Jesus, whom we've enthroned upon our lives, and King Self within us, right? It only results in a long, bitter conflict and war, such was the case with Israel. It is so much better to simply surrender and submit to the reign of Jesus. You know, maybe you right now are battling, going back and forth. You know, one day you're walking with the Lord, the next day you're not. You're up and down. You're vacillating. And, you know, you got one foot in the world and one foot, you know, trying to serve the Lord. You can't do it. In fact, you know, that reminds me of that text of Scripture, one of the indictments that God brought against, was, was it the church that he had wrote the letter uh, uh, to in Ephesus? He says, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. It's nauseating to the Lord. And I think that so many Christians are exactly like that. They have one foot in the world, and at the same time, they're trying to walk with the Lord. You know, they do their Sunday best. They come in, they worship the Lord. They'll raise their hand. They'll lift up their hands, worship God, and then they'll leave the facility and go back and just, you know, live like they normally do, as if they, you know, they hadn't embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior, as if they haven't enthroned King Jesus 
in their lives or in their hearts. Listen, in the lives of some Christians today, there is a raging civil war that's ensuing. The flesh struggles against the spirit. And the conflict is a bitter one. You know what that's like. I've gone through that myself. If only, and they're thinking, if only we could preserve some of our rights, at least have some of our own way. We don't want to be completely crucified with Christ. You know what we need to do? Well, it's simply so much better to surrender and submit to the reign of Christ. You don't have to go through that bitter experience, vacillating up and down. It's, it's just, it drives you crazy, right? And so just complete, my advice to you, uh, my exhortation, just completely submit and surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus uh, Christ. Well, let's go on, the concluding verses of our chapter, and then we'll wind things up. Verses 30 through 32. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants, so now we're given some statistics here, 19 men and Asahel. So 13 men uh, were killed that day on David's side in the battle. But notice, the servants uh, of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 men who died. Then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in the city of Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Okay, so Joab and his men likewise leave the scene of the battle. They take a route towards Hebron that passes through the city of Bethlehem, the home of Zariah, and there they bury Asahel in the family tomb. And one last thing that I want you to take notice of before we close, one last thing that I want you to take note of, the statistics concerning the loss of life in this battle. David's men, in all, 20. Abner's men, 360. And please take into account, remember, Abner moved to attack Judah with a large force and company. But in spite of Israel's superiority in numbers, remember, David's men defeated Joab, right? Or rather, Abner. I'm sorry, Abner. And uh, so what do we take away from that? Well, remember, one man with God is a majority. So what are you going through right now? Are you facing unsurmountable odds? Your back is up against the wall. You're facing an enemy that's larger than yourself. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. You don't know who to appeal to. Hey, make your appeals unto God. Remember, there's no restraint with God to deliver with many or with few. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. In the book of 2 Samuel, the king God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart, is in the place God planned for him. Yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, you'll see that fact time and time again. 
David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. The same God is merciful to you, too, and his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.